thank you so much, Carol, for joining me on the Employability Matters podcast. It is such a pleasure for you to accept the invitation. You know, you were on my list, okay, of people to call. Without further ado, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay, so thank you, Sophia. It's my pleasure um, and honour. So uh, my name is Carol McKenzie, and I am the founder of Carol McKenzie Talk Service in a nutshell, which is, um, I called it a talk service because it involves three key aspects. And that's number one, youth counseling, number two, specialist family intervention, and number three, um, specialist mentoring. Um, so it's an umbrella service that covers those three distinct components. Excellent. That is definitely an essential service that is needed right now. I was looking online about the surge of mental health, especially post, well, I won't even say post because we are still in the coronavirus pandemic. And it says there's an extra 500,000 people, in addition to those already have mental health issues, will be in need of a service like yours. So tell us why you decided to set up your essential service. Okay, that, that's an interesting um, um, reference. And um, if, I, if I sort of go back to my, my childhood, in a sense, um, so this service was kind of motivated by my own personal lived experience and my professional journey and decision to kind of um, retrain as a therapeutic practitioner. So in terms of my own lived experience as a child, I suffered with um, significant illness, um, which caused me at the age of five to be hospitalized for a period of nine months. And um, it was really enduring. So it was eczema and asthma, um, and it was enduring. And what that did, was caused me to kind of experience what we call now um, in the social care world, adverse childhood experience, which is basically some kind of trauma. Now, for me, as a child, I didn't access the services that I needed in terms of support around my emotional well-being. So I had medical support, um, but not um, emotional support. And that the void impacted my education, it impacted my relationship and it, it impacted my life chances. So from a lived experience, I've always been passionate about helping others um, and um, really passionate about um, addressing um, the gap really in service provision. Um, so in terms of um, you know my background, I'm social work trained, but recognize that of all of the families that I would work with, there would always be an issue around their emotional well-being and the same for young people. And so that's where I, I felt um, certainly over the last um, few years ago that th that's where the gap is. Um, and I just felt that um, in the UK, there are not enough emotional and mental health services par to physical and medical health. Um, and so that's why I felt we have to bridge this gap. And um, I felt that I, I needed to retrain in order to meet that need. Awesome. So what type of qualifications and training is needed for your type of work? 
Okay, so that's a, that's a good question. I think people can come into mental health through a number of different routes. So for example, some people might go the straight degree route. So do some kind of psychotherapy, some kind of maybe a psychology degree with clinical experiences, but then other people similar to myself might go down the route of postgraduate training. So if, for example, you've already got a degree, um, you've done some relevant psychology and you know, background, you know, background, or you have some psychology experience, then there are a number of postgraduate um routes to being trained as either a mental health practitioner or a psychotherapist or a counsellor okay so uh, I think I said two things there um, and then some people might just work gradually start at level two in counselling progress up the line to level three level four and then perhaps uh, you know stop at level five which is a really good place to be as a as a rounded mental health practitioner wow I can just imagine the amount of training that you would need would you also yeah. need to have counselling as well, like going through your postgraduate qualifications? Did you also have to embark upon being counselled by others whilst you were going through the programme? Really good question. And again, um, most standard you know, um, counselling programmes, degree programmes, um, and most psychotherapy programmes uh, make it mandatory it's absolutely compulsory that you have the experience of being counseled and that's because uh, um you know as as a practitioner number one when you actually have uh, um and and kind of engage in a process of counseling yourself you then start to develop the the experience of uh, um, having to reflect on your childhood, having to make the connection between your childhood experiences and your adolescent experiences, how um, making the link between any kind of difficulty that you might have experienced and how that impacts on you. So, and really it's just about having a greater understanding of the self, mm. yeah? And without that process of one-to-one -one sort of clinical reflection, you know, it's, it's, um, it's unlikely that you, you would really grasp that greater understanding about yourself. And also what the reason why it's really important is because we come to counseling or we come to our work with our own biases, with our own lens. And what um, counseling does is it helps you to challenge your own biases so that when you are sitting in front and you're when you're taking up the work and counseling you know whether it's a man a female a family maybe from a different background so that you can critically reflect on your own self and make sure that you are not um, influencing negatively um, your clients because of the lens that you carry. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is a huge yeah. responsibility and a mantle that I salute that you're taking on because yeah. whilst you're speaking, I'm thinking about Ileana Vansant. I absolutely am an addict for her stuff. I've got all her books and I regularly watch her series called Fix My Life. And 
whilst I was reading up and about your education and your career history, I was thinking to myself, you are the UK version of Ileana Vansant. Is that what you do? <laughs> you know, is that, that is so funny? Former, you know, ensuring that people have a healthy, positive outlook on self, if not that would influence decisions, influence life decisions, influence their life, etc. So that's how I look at you, like a UK version of Ileana Vansan. <laughs> well, thank you for that compliment, Sophia. Um, you know, I welcome it in, in the sense that, you know, you've given a heartfelt sentiment. I think the woman is phenomenal. I really do. So I really wouldn't quite compare myself to her, but I certainly do. I, I, I do think she's amazing. And I think the way she works with families, the way she works with individuals is phenomenal. Um, and yes, she would have, when you hear her story, this isn't a woman that's had a smooth life. This is a woman that, uh, you know, has had uh, lots and lots of challenges and difficulties, uh, you know, through her journey. And I say that to say, you know, one of some of the greatest things that we bring as counsellors, as therapeutic practitioners, is our lived experience. And so what I would say is that I certainly, you know, as well as the qualifications, as well as the training, as well as the clinical um, reflection and the kind of clinical side of it, I bring myself and um, and part of myself is having you know gone through some some challenges and life continues to throw um, difficulties our way but um, when you're equipped with certain tools um, it enables you to overcome and navigate some of those challenges um, with a sense of wholeness at the end because you know um, it's about you know in our journey in life it's it's really important that we kind of look at you know what we've learned from those experiences how those experiences have changed us you know what we would do differently and you know and how we would kind of support somebody else who might be struggling to navigate those experiences or different experiences so yes this is absolutely amazing i believe anybody who is listening to this who feel that they need help they need support they need some form of counseling um, they should definitely get in contact with um, Carol McKenzie Talk Service. Um, Carol, I would like you to talk through, if I felt that I needed your help, okay, what is the process of getting in contact with you and what does a session look like if you want to go through the steps, please? Okay, so my website is up and running. Um, so it was established, I mean, the business was set up during this lockdown period, okay? And I, I must say, I'm still in the process of growing um, my business and taking it to another level as I meet with different individuals who want to work in collaboration with me and so forth. So at the moment, um, Carol McKenzie Talk Service, um, um, the website is C McKenzie Talks, 
www.ghostbusinesscoaching.com. Now, if you're going onto the website and just kind of wanting to kind of refresh yourself, at the last page where it says contact us, you can complete that section. You don't have to give a lot of information. It's basically your name, your con you don't even have to put your surname, your contact um, email um, address. And if you send me a message, I, that will come into my inbox and then I would make contact with you. Okay. Um, additionally, there is the email address. I'm challenged to think about the email address, which is carol at cmackenzietalks.com. So again, you can send me an email. I check it every day. And uh, basically, if you just tell me a little bit about what, you, what your need is and what you think you would, you, um, you want, um, I will, um, I would give you a courtesy call and we can have a, a conversation which is no commitment, no obligation um, conversation where we kind of just address what your needs are and kind of decide whether my service is the best for you. Because it doesn't have to be. Um, for some people, depending on their need, it may mean that I need to redirect them and handhold them um, to a, a more appropriate service. So for example, you know, there are many specialist services and I have you know, connections. Um, so, for example, if it was bereavement um, and you felt that you needed a bereavement specialist, I, I could um, link you to that. Um, so, so, yeah, that's the kind of route. And what would a session look like? I think it really depends because remember, I offer three separate services. Um, so it's not the typical counselling service, okay? So one um, um, aspect is counselling, the other aspect is family support, and the third aspect is, is mentoring. If it were the typical counselling service, then once we have that conversation um, about what counselling involves, it, you know, in terms of assessing what your need is, if we both agreed that this was a good fit, um, at the moment, because of lockdown, we are carrying out the service remotely. So I would just check to see whether that works for you. Um, and yeah, we would um, we would talk about um, we would set up a contract, so some kind of agreement, some kind of contract agreement between us. And that's just about how you know that's just about confidentiality. It's about you know what we expect from each other in terms of the professional counselor stroke um, client relationship and we would agree on a number of sessions and after that initial piece of work we would start the work you know and typically um, counseling might look like because I'm client-centered um, so I'm client-centered but I have a number of specialisms so I'm a systemic um, practitioner so I'm trained to work with um, families in a therapeutic way that really focuses not just on the self, the individual, but about the relationships um, and how the different relationships in one's life impacts your, yourself. Um, but as a straight client centered, I, I, I bring in a whole range of different modalities. So um, cognitive behavior therapy, I might do a bit of mindfulness. The session would be over, you know, I would give you that safe space and, you know, 
and that would be your opportunity to really start to, and to share your story or your experience from wherever you feel safe and wherever you feel comfortable. And basically, I, you know, through that process of interaction, we, we build, we build the relationship. And my role is to provide you a safe space for feelings, for your experiences, to understand emotions. And then what I would do is interject and help you to make meaning of some of your experiences. And, you know, I would say that many people are carrying difficult experiences, difficult emotions that they've felt for a time unable to kind of work through. And that would be my role to help you to share some difficult content and to work through it, to process it, yeah, to make meaning of some of those difficult experiences, to gain a greater understanding of some of um, your emotions and difficult, um, difficult emotions that you've experienced, and then to work through that in a systematic way. And that might be using different tools. It might, be, you know, as I said before, you know, it might be a bit of mindfulness. It might be um, a bit of cognitive behavioral therapy. So we're making the link, for example, between some of your experiences, your thoughts, your emotions, and and what you do with that on a day-to-day -day basis, which might be unhealthy. I'll stop there. Um, awesome. but, uh, Absolutely yeah. awesome, Carol, because yeah. you're giving, well, me and also the listeners, a excellent insight into your work as a mental health practitioner, but also I'm thinking of breakthrough, like when somebody wants to um, commission you for some counselling or, as you said, for family support, the key word that always coming back to me whilst you were speaking is breakthrough. They'll be able to get breakthrough through whatever has been holding them back, the trauma that has been holding them back. What I'm taking from your work, it enables you to identify the reasons as to why you have made those decisions, going back, as you said, to childhood, going back to the relationships that you've had with individuals in the past. Yes. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Everybody needs this. And a key word that you said is wholeness. Wholeness. Yes. To be yes. authentic. All the decisions that you're making are coming from a place of truth as opposed to coming from a place of brokenness, you know? Absolutely. I, I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And what I would say is that uh, the idea of therapy and the idea of counselling and the idea of the concept of mental health, there's always been so much stigma, stigma within the, um, the, the black community, you know, stigma in general. Whereas you, if, if we compare um, the UK to America, for example, the USA, there's much less of a stigma. And in fact, uh, um, most people who are, you know, high achievers, you know, 
have some kind of therapeutic counsellor. And so, you know, the idea, what I'm hoping um, from delivering my service is to kind of shift that negative narrative, right? Because often people think if, you ha if, you, if you're going for counselling, it's because something's wrong or because you're mad or because, you know, there's some kind of dysfunction. Whereas actually, I would say that what counselling does is it paves the way for growth, Yes, it paves the way for developing a growth mindset in, um, in contrast to a fixed mindset. Yeah, because it is about getting to know yourself better. It is about overcoming barriers to your potential. You know, it is about kind of making the connections and joining the dots between habit things that have caused you to be stuck in a particular place and I think I think it's probably one of the best investments that any individual um, can can um, can sow into themselves you know we spend money going on holidays we spend money doing our hair we spend money in so many ways that are external but what counselling does is it's an investment into your internal world, yeah, in terms of what's going on on the inside, which then comes out on the outside. It's a great investment. And I think even if people were just having six sessions, you know, of, of counselling, you know, I, I think it's well, um, you know, it's a great investment. Awesome. In you said investing within and the benefits will show without, as within, as without. That is absolutely amazing. Those who are listening to this podcast, either on YouTube or the other platforms, you need to get in contact with Carol McKenzie Talk Service. I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, to able to be investing in yourself is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to yourself. So if you feel that you are stuck, if you are challenged in whatever area of your life, give a call, check out Carol McKenzie Talk Service website and give it a go and give it a go. I want to talk about now um, a possible testimony, if you have one of somebody who has come to your service and if you can just talk through the benefits of how they felt your service has been for them. Okay. Um, okay, that was, I looked at that and that was an interesting question. I was just trying to think who best um, to, to um, reflect on. Um, one family that comes to mind um, is, um, I'm, I'll refer to them as Mrs. H and her boys. Um, so this was an Asian mum with her two fabulous boys. I think they were 12 and 14 at the time. And they came because they were having difficulties. And initially um, she presented that um, she'd recently um, divorced from her husband and she was just concerned that her older son wasn't, you know, he seemed to be a bit withdrawn um, and so forth. And she just felt that in terms of the transition from being a married sort of family um, to now single parenting, it would, it would be um, a useful um, exercise. And, and so she was referred um, 
um, and I took on that piece of work. Um, what was fascinating about this story was that uh, um, initially it was presented as just how um, I, I explained it. Um, but then as the work began to grow and as we built a relationship, and that's not just with me and mum, but me and the two boys, because they were always in the sessions, um, the stories began to thicken and the narrative became um, clearer. Um, and there were some very complex issues around domestic um, abuse. And, um, and I think in, in, in a nutshell, um, what I watched and what I observed is both boys feeling comfortable and confident because of the therapeutic relationship to share some real difficult um, emotions that they were carrying. And that was about anger and hatred and uh, um, wanting vengeance because they'd seen some really horrific stuff. Um, but as we went, at, went through the work and as we use play therapy and, and different, I gave them various creative ways to get out some of those difficult feelings. And, you know, I, I, I always remember um, one, one of the boys, the oldest boy, um, really explaining that he was so grateful because outside of that context, there were things that he was able to share that even though he, you know, had a close relationship with mom, you know, he was also protective of her and didn't want her to know what his feelings were on the inside. And so one of the things that he explained was that, you know, through this counseling, you know, um, he felt that a lot of the stress of life, you know, came off of his shoulder. But the long and short of the story was that mum developed insight things that she had overlooked. And it's very typical when it comes to domestic um, um, violence. Often mum is struggling. She just wants to survive this and she wants her children to survive this the best way possible. But often they don't realize the impact that it has on the children. Um, so what was fabulous was that mum developed insight. She started to make the connections between some real difficult experience and, and emotions her children were experiencing because of what they had seen and because of what they had heard. And once mum, you know, I always remember the day when when it, the penny clicked for her and she was mortified. She was so emotional, but it was the turning point for her. She realized what her children had gone through as well as what she had gone through. And so then what she was, she was then open to kind of looking at how she could then begin to start healing herself and supporting her children to heal from the trauma that they had experienced. And at the end of about 12, 14 sessions, you know, I watched a, a, a healthy, bonded, intimate family that were having 
wonderful family time. They were having special quality time. Mum was allocating time for each son so that she could give them their own space, their own special time. She was allowing them to talk about their feelings. She was doing some great activity work with them in terms of building a collage about their family and who their family is. And, you know, they talked about their aspirations and they'd come from being really in a difficult place to, um, yeah, to what I would say was, was potentially a family thriving now and ready to kind of do family life in a much more healthier way. And yeah, great. It was a fabulous um, outcome. And I would say, um, when we see outcomes like that in, in family work, it's not just about me, because remember, those families are experts. They're experts in their own lives. They know their stories. And unless they were willing to do the work, and unless they were willing to be open about some of the very difficult experiences the domestic, you know, like, for example, the, the son, you know, witnessed mum being strangled by her ex. So, you know, it took several sessions before they felt comfortable to share that kind of information. But what I'm saying is it, it's, it's a collaboration. It's myself and the families working together openly sharing difficult experiences and being prepared to do the work you yeah. know so that they could experience change so yeah awesome yeah. the work that you do is so essential carol yes. i mean i i know that our listeners would definitely agree with me because i was just thinking about the testimony that you shared and i was thinking imagine those two boys who if they didn't embark upon your service yeah. and were to go about life in a normal way and growing up into teenagers and into adults, how they would have a warped yes. outlook on their life and how their relationships going forward would not be positive and healthy, you know? So what you're doing is equipping generations of individuals to be able to live life in a more purposeful and healthy way. And that is the greatest gift that you can give anyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about all of the wonderful key skills and qualities that are needed for a mental health practitioner. If somebody wanted to become a mental health practitioner, um, what type of skills and qualities, top three, would you say are essential to have for this field of work? That's a good question. So I would say that you would need to be empathetic, have empathy. So being able to put yourself in somebody's shoes. I would say that you need to have very good listening skills. Yeah. And I would say, I'd say you'd need to have a level of communication skills, which includes the listening, but being able to kind of communicate in a way that enables somebody to kind of understand what they're going through, you know. And of course, when you're offering tools and direction, people need to be able to understand you. So yeah, I would say communication, empathy, 
and and good listening skills moving on from the different types of skills and qualities that are needed and you highlighted three top ones and i would definitely agree with them empathy communication and listening skills active listening skills what about the challenges have you faced any challenges along your career path so far within the mental health field and what are their challenges I, I would say um, in my journey I think one great challenge is funding you know um, training doesn't it doesn't come free you know not at this level um, so um, if you're wanting to kind of get a taster of counselling training between level one and level two, you'd get that free. So there are various um, skills organisations that are offering that. But at, at my level, um, which is postgraduate, you know, level six, seven, um, you're, you're, you're looking at several thousands. <laughs> and so um, for me, I... I was very committed. I knew that I wanted to do this. Um, and my first, um, I, I was trained at the Tavistock, Tavistock and Portman NHS, which is a renowned place for psychotherapy. Um, and my training, my first training cost me £4,500. Okay. And, and, and I self-funded all of my professional development training um, by myself. So, um, so I would say that funding was one thing. Another thing I would say is, um, what would I say? I would say that working, you know, being able as a black woman navigating any kind of professional journey you know, we're, we're going to be up against, uh, you know, barriers such as, um, you know, gender bias, or we're going to experience, you know, some kind of, um, what I would say, um, clinical practice that might be very Eurocentric. So that might be a challenge to navigate, you know. Um, but yeah, I would say the main thing is about funding, it's about um, just, you know, being prepared to do this hard work and to juggle clinical practice as well as training, you know, as well as potentially holding down uh, maybe a part-time job. It, it's a tough journey, yeah? And you have to have some resilience. You have to be determined. You have to have good networks of support, you know, you have to be able to kind of prioritize and manage your finance in a way and to self, you know, um, and to fundraise if necessary in order to kind of achieve, you know, um, your goals as a, as a therapeutic practitioner. It's not an easy journey. I want to talk about your greatest achievement to date. So, so far in your career, what would you say is one of your greatest achievements to date? Okay, what I would say, it's an interesting question, and I'm going to answer it in two parts. So what I would say is that I have always been an employee, okay? So for 25 years plus, you know, working in public services, whether it's mental health, whether it's, you know, um, education, um, social care, 
I've always been an employee, okay? Um, and I've made some, a number of really great contributions um, in different capacities. However, during this 2020 lockdown, um, my vision to set up my own practice really um, became materialized. And I would say um, from a professional um, perspective, I, I would say that it's one of my greatest achievements to date. Yeah, from a professional point of view, setting up something that I've given birth to, that I'm um, passionate about, and being able to kind of offer this and to work in collaboration with other services to make that difference to, to children, young people and families. So that's one. Um, but I, I have to say, um, aside of me being the director and the founder of this service, um, I'm also a mom and I'm also a grandmother. So one of my other great achievements, I would say, is, you know, I have three adult children um, who are incredibly um, talented, gifted um, and hardworking in their own right. And alongside of that, I have five grandchildren. So, you know, I would say that, you know, that is equally um, a great achievement that, that I'm pleased about in terms of my life because my journey has not been easy. Um, but I think, um, you know, certainly as a single mom, raising my children through really tough times and then seeing them kind of find their own footing and their own sense of purpose is a, is a real great um, achievement. Um, by the grace of God, it has been a great achievement. Yeah. I would say that whatever you put in, you get out, isn't it? So, Absolutely. you know, how you are as an individual, because we've known each other for... I say over 10 years, but it could even be more than that. And you have remained the same, you know. I can feel the connection of that motherly touch from you, you know. And I know one of your children as well, and I know that she is an entrepreneur in her own field. So whatever you give out, Carol, is definitely coming back to you. And I definitely sure. know that you are most proud of your children so far. Yeah, awesome. But I would say also, Sophia, and you know, this probably wasn't part of the script, um, but in terms of successful um, black um, business owners, you would have been one of my first um, connections to, you know, to knowing um, someone who has developed their own business and is, you know, offering an excellent service uh, to the community and to, you know, um, to clients across the field. And, and so um, I would say you also, and I know this is probably not so much about you, but I have to say you are an inspiration and have always been an inspiration in terms of you being a black businesswoman, mm -hmm. entrepreneur love heart in it as they do absolutely thank you thank you so if we're talking about you know one's career path and journey you know even i look back on myself and i think about the lessons that i've learned and you know the accomplishment accomplishments that i have attained over the years what career advice would you give to your younger self? What I would say to my younger self is to believe in yourself. Yeah. I would 
say that uh, where possible, it would be useful to have a mentor, yeah, to find a mentor and somebody, whether it's through formal services or, you know, through connections, so that you have the chance of reflecting on your personal qualities, yeah, your skill set, your ability, your passion, you know, so that you can then start to use that as a foundation to, to kind of pursue your purpose in a meaningful and, and in an intentional way. That's what I would say. That's what I would say to my younger self. And that's what I would say to the younger generation um, coming up. Find somebody that can help you to identify your greatness in a nutshell. What I would also say is um, invest in yourself as well. And whether that's through, um, we say CPD, continuous professional development, um, I would say, you know, seize the opportunity to invest in yourself, whether it's through um, voluntary work, whether it's through skill set, you know, invest in yourself. And I, I say that because there were many, there was a period when I was a manager of a large service for many years. And, my, you know, what I did was I sold into many of my staff and gave them many opportunities, but I was too busy to invest in me. And I think, um, you know, we can really miss out on some great opportunities when we don't recognize that we are important, you know, and that we must continuously invest in ourselves to help us grow. Because then that's when we reach our greater potential with less challenges, you know? Most definitely, and so well said. I mean, even during this time of the coronavirus pandemic, I have had time, <laughs> seriously, I've had time to do more reading, time to do more researching, time for me. Before March, I was so busy thinking about how I'm able to meet all these different types of deadlines and thinking that it was impossible because it was just too much to handle. But now during this time, I'm going to call it rest, reflection, um, a reboot. You know, I'm able to invest in myself, which has been long overdue. So that is such great advice. It really is. As we're coming to the end, um, Carol, could you share some advice to our listeners who would like to pursue a career within mental health? Okay. <clears throat> yes. Thank you, Sophia. So there's a few things that I just want to highlight that I, I would say would be useful um, for our listeners. And I would say firstly to say, um, it's important to think about your motivations, okay? So everyone has different motivations for wanting to go into different career paths. When it comes to counseling and psychotherapy or anything linked to mental health, um, it's very much about um, you know, 
people's well-being and wanting to make a difference in people's well-being. And so I would say, think about your motivations, okay? So ask yourself the question, why do you want to go into um, counselling or, or mental health um, work? And, and perhaps how you can make a difference. I think what's really important is that um, that you have a passion and that there is some kind of authenticity, okay? So that's one um, challenge that I would give to the listener. The second thing that I would say is uh, it may be useful to consider some training. So for example, there are numerous um, counselling training on an introduction level and that's perhaps level one and level two, which will give you some amazing insight into the world of counseling and psychotherapy. In, a, in, in addition to that, I would also say that there are some excellent mental health um, first aid courses available. Now, these might not necessarily be free. Um, it may be a couple of hundred pounds, between maybe two and three hundred pounds. But I would say that it would be an excellent way to invest in yourself and to develop some basic, well, in fact, it's a little bit more than basic, some good sound insight into mental health, some of the key um, concepts that you need to be aware of, some of the key symptoms that you need to be aware of, and basically how you can respond to somebody who might be in a mental health crisis. That would be my second um, recommendation. A third um, piece of advice that I would give to our listeners would be to consider subscribing to a magazine called Psychology Today. Now this is a monthly magazine that most people um, in, in the um, counselling and psychotherapy profession buy into, okay, or subscribe to. Now what they produce on a monthly basis is a magazine that covers a range of issues that would be a good um, monthly read and investment into your um, development of knowledge about the industry. Fourthly, I would say, the British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy is, um, is um, a, a leading um, regulator for counsellors and psychotherapists. Now, if you visit their website, you'll gain some interesting um, contemporary information about all aspects of counselling and psychotherapy. I think it's well worth um, looking into. And, and the last thing that I would say is uh, it would be good to practice if, if you're really interested in being a mental health practitioner in, in some way or shape. I would say it would be really good to practice being a good listener. So we all have people in our lives, whether it's good friends, whether it's family members, whether it's colleagues that we meet. And I would say this is an opportunity for you to start thinking about how you can be um, a good listener to someone who is in need. So I would encourage you to be 
intentional that when you're in conversations and when you're interacting and when you're connecting with people make it a um a priority to listen and and not necessarily to give advice but just to listen and and to kind of develop your empathy and and i would say um you know, and just to be a support. We call it um, being a people helper. And as you reflect on your use of those skills and how you can be a better friend or a better colleague, you know, a question that you could um, reflect on is how rewarding did you find being a helper and a, a, a people support for somebody um, who is in need. And um, I, I would say that if you felt that that was a rewarding experience, uh, then that might be an indication that uh, um, the mental health profession might be one for you. Okay, I'll leave it there. And, and best wishes to anybody um, who might be interested in taking steps towards this really invaluable profession. Awesome. You've given some really sound um, and comprehensive advice for people who are seeking to work within the mental health um, industry. Um, I especially like how you outline practical ideas with regards to the empathy and the listening, listening with empathy, which I think was really key, very great yeah. advice, as well as practical advice as to where you can access training you know, to enhance um, your skills within the profession. Thank you so much, Carol, for coming on Employability Matters podcast. You are a diamond, okay? As I said, you are the UK version of Ileana Van Sant, yes? <laughs> I always say that that's my nickname for you. <laughs> you know, you you've been so a joy, much. okay? And thank you. Likewise, right, it's, been my, um, it's been a privilege. everyone this is your host Sophia Lewis and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Employability Matters a careers and job related podcast where we dive into all topics associated with the world of work thank you for subscribing I very much appreciate your support and remember to share with your family and friends it would be appreciated if you could leave a great review on our YouTube channel, Anchor FM, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I will be back next week for another great episode. So until then, remember, employability matters. <music>